0: Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, and yet you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life indeed god did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him this is the word of the lord praise to you lord jesus christ in the name of god father son and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's really lovely to be here with you today. Um, And it's lovely to see so many familiar faces and get such a warm welcome from, from your principal who, we go back a long way. We were students together in this very college all those years ago. Now most people, or many people who are preaching, start with a joke. But I never start with a joke, they always fall flat. (laughs) I remember the chapel as it was when we were here. And it's very different now. When you came in those doors, um, there were wooden pews nailed or fixed in place. There were heavy drapes on the window. And it was in many ways set in stone and pickled in aspic. (laughs) Uh, It's it's a lot freer and uh, more open now. When I was a child many uh, sermons started with, the preacher started with the text. Maybe many that you have heard do as well. And I have a text today, but it isn't a biblical text, though I will look at the readings. It's a text, it's a saying that's painted on the wall in the principal's office in the National School in Middleton, in my parish. And it's from a book that you may remember. I remember from childhood. And the author is Dr. Seuss. And it says, oh, the places you'll go. And I that, that was what immediately came to mind when I was asked to come here today. Oh, the places you go. And it's amazing. You don't know where you're going to end up. And uh, certainly when Andrew and I, and probably Morris, left here, we didn't know where we would go. And we maybe didn't expect to be where we are. <coughs> so... Trust, hope, and hang in there. Our readings today start with an incredible journey, that story from Genesis of Abraham setting out from Haran. So uh, maybe we're at the setting out, although you've come a long way to get here, but you know, in many ways, there's, there's lots more. So I, I will look at the, the readings today, and I will draw them together, or we will try to. Abraham started on this faith journey and became, as we heard in Romans, the father of a great nation from which the Christian church grew. I sometimes wish the lectionary would go just one more verse. Because if it had gone one more verse, then Sarah would have gone with him as well. But she was omitted this time. Later on, we hear the story of Nicodemus, a teacher of Israel, a Pharisee, one who was eager to serve God and seek God by abiding by the rules. I think sometimes when we look at the story to see who we most identify with. In this one, we probably all identify a bit with Nicodemus as people who work or will work for the church and who are are or will be religious leaders looking and in need of Jesus. It follows a very typical Johannine structure it starts with a conversation and turns into a discourse or a theological debate and it's set at night time so in John everything is symbolic isn't it so we have this person coming in the night time to find the light and what Jesus suggests to Nicodemus is that what is needed is a complete transformation. So great it would be like being born all over again. He discusses that doesn't he? Nicodemus perhaps deliberately, perhaps not deliberately, misunderstands that and wonders is he referring to a physical rebirth. But Jesus is talking about a complete transformation, a spiritual one. And as usual, when debating and looking closely at this text, that one spends a lot of time wondering about the word in Greek, anothen, translated again, or from above. What does it mean? But I suggest that as well as looking at that word, it's also just as interesting to look at the word born, to be born, the genaithari. What does it mean to be born? It's Such an utter, complete transformation from not being born, to being born, to being completely independent existence, breathing unaided, a whole new world probably none of us remembers our own births and our experiences of giving birth or even being present at a birth, although deeply embedded within us, are different from the experience of being born. When I was thinking about this I I spoke to an experienced midwife who is also a parishioner and here are some of her thoughts she has witnessed hundreds of births she said to me birth is why i know god exists it's the most amazing moment the baby coming to life it's like being revved up it's like magic you see them come to life And she also said an interesting thing. The mother is born at that moment as a mother. They suddenly become a mother. And they're amazed at their own amazing achievement. We talked a bit more and she went on to talk from a more biological, physiological perspective. And she talked about the amazing hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin is released in enormous amounts immediately after birth and it controls milk production physical stuff but it also controls bonding or it aids bonding between the person who's just given birth and the newborn and it's found in both parents The dads get it as well, and it aids bonding, heats up the body, heats up your skin. It's it's amazing. She called it the love hormone. It's given clinically to manage labour, in steady dose. You know, you sometimes see it in a drip. But when it's naturally produced, it comes in huge amounts, and not in a steady release, but in waves or pulses. And we're familiar perhaps with the phrase, the rush of love. That's the oxytocin working. (coughs) The body produces it after birth. So birth itself causes this rush of hormone. And likewise, in the gospel story, It follows the same pathway, if we see, that discussion about birth leads on to talking about love. It culminates in that wonderful verse, the famous verse, John 16, For God so loved the world, verse that Martin Luther himself said was the heart of the Bible the Gospel in miniature. This discourse, discussion in John's Gospel, it moves from that really specific talking about Nicodemus to talking about the universal, God's love for the whole world. The word used in the Greek is cosmos. And the cosmos in first century uh, Israel, according to Margaret Daly Denton. She says, given the limits of first century cosmological knowledge, that would have, the known world would have consisted of the land and sea and sky within a certain radius of Jerusalem. Cosmos means the entire known universe, possibly even the unknown universe, as far as we can see. We're deeply connected both to our bodies and to our world. This in we as part of the cosmos experience God in our bodies. Um, That our ordained ministry hinges on physical things too. Water, bread, wine. We need to be aware of who we are, where we've come from, and how much our physical existence influences everything we do and everything we say. We are embodied Christians, and we minister through physical items to physical people. And as such, we are all vulnerable. The moment we're preoccupied by coronavirus rightly refocusing our attention on those who are vulnerable in our society this embodiment thing was really emphasized for me when i was first ordained one of the most frequent questions i was asked i don't know if new people are still asked that as this it was what's it like to be a woman priest often it was framed as what's it like to be a woman clergyman (laughs) (laughs) i always found it difficult to answer and sometimes was annoyed by it because it was just an all always focusing on on gender at times people thought i was given a smart answer when i truthfully said it's the only kind of priest i've ever been (laughs) i can't not be who i am and it's really important to be ourselves to be who you are in ministry, for me to be who I am. It's very hard and ultimately self destructive to be something that you're not. Both men and women clergy need to be aware of all the biases that have existed in the past against women and some are still there. Therefore, we must try and redress that balance so be aware you choose to use female words female images stories about women in worship I've actually just done that and it wasn't unusual at all by looking at the word birth in the gospel reading by reminding us that Sarah traveled with Abraham Much of our language in worship is male and has been for hundreds of years so you probably won't overdo it. Think of your recent sermons, the books and the articles you read, the illustrations you use, the conversations you have, are the stories about women as well as men, women in our churches in the bible in our bible teaching have been silenced sometimes deliberately and sometimes they still are so seek the female image the born in born from above we might find it hard to believe that the church of ireland was at one stage governed entirely by men but it was This is quite heartening too, though, because it was men who opened the doors and let the women in. Um, However, it's still reflected in our church structures. We rightly celebrate and acknowledge the ordination of women. This year, 2020, will be the 30th anniversary of the ordination of the first women to the priesthood in the Church of Ireland. And there'll be a service to celebrate that in St Patrick's Cathedral in September. But our structures are very male dominated still on vestries, on synods, on Dawson Council, on General Synod, on Standing Committee. This year, it's a triennial election. Will it be mostly men elected? Probably. Why do fewer women stand for election? That's a question worth asking. Who's on your cathedral chapter? Yesterday, I spent a bit of time adding up numbers and figuring out who was on the chapters. Of 16 cathedral chapters in the Church of Ireland, there are 155 canons. 134 of them are male, 21 are female. That's 86% male. There's 19 archdeacons, 18 are male. We know there's one bishop. The proportions are inverse to seniority really, the further up you go, the less and the fewer there are. Now I know that it is about calling and service, absolutely understand that, but we do need to ask questions when over 85% are male. Even when women are involved in decision making, Their voices are sometimes not listened to. So men, especially, give them space to speak. Raise your awareness of how hard it is to speak as a woman when you're used to being ignored, to be taken seriously when you're used to being dismissed. The ignoring of stories the images from scripture and beyond in the church have led to the exclusion of women at some stages in our history, almost completely. There is a change in this. There really is. And we, as clergy, have a very pivotal role. If you like, we're midwives of change. Amen.